Tim Berg here, host of the Above180.com podcast. I had a chance to catch up with Steve Jarris. Steve has seven PBA titles, including one major. Steve is now an account rep with Classic Products Corp. So I thought it would be good to catch up with Steve, talk about some of the things going on in the bowling industry, talk about ultimately when and why he made the decision to walk away from the sport bowling on a full-time basis. And we also hit on him bowling in the PBA 50 events and what that's like for him. That's all next on the Above180.com podcast. High Five Gear is a proud sponsor of Above180.com. H5G has thousands of designs to choose from and no hidden artwork fees. How awesome is that? Show your individuality and have your jersey tell your story. Online, you can order at www.high5gear.com today. Don't let fashion pass you by. Add H5G into your wardrobe and show off your individuality. Use code ABOVE180 at checkout for $20 off any H5G style. Thank you to all of our supporters and our fans. We appreciate it. Hey, bowlers, bowling this month is back. Bowling this month is bowling's trusted technical resource that's relied upon by thousands of serious bowlers, pro shop operators, and professional coaches. From independent ball reviews to great instructional articles on all facets of our sport, you'll find it all at bowlingthismonth.com. For less than the price of a cup of coffee per month, you can have online access to Bowling This Month's premium technical bowling content that will help you improve your game. Bowling This Month is so confident you'll be satisfied, they're offering a 14-day money-back guarantee to all subscribers. Check out BowlingThisMonth.com and sign up today. Hi, this is Parker Bona III, and you are listening to the Above180.com podcast with Tim Berg. Tim Berg is ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts, and the stars of the PBA. Now, here's your host, Tim Berg. Joining me on the Above180.com podcast is Steve Jarris. Steve has six PBA titles and one major, the 2005 TOC. Steve, it's Tim Berg here. Thanks for joining me today. It's a pleasure to be here. I've been uh, looking forward to be uh, being on your show a few times here, so I'm looking forward to it. All right, Steve, well, let's begin here because we caught up a little bit at Bowl Expo and had a chance to touch base a few minutes, and then things got crazy and chaotic, and ultimately we're able to connect now just a little bit after the show. But let's talk about um, one of the things, and one of the things that we see a lot at Bowl Expo is a lot of these new bowling balls are released. Every company, every manufacturer is coming out there with the latest and greatest new pieces. What's your thought on that? And... Um, I wonder sometimes if almost too much equipment isn't released throughout the year for the for the the average Joes, so, so to speak, and they sometimes have like information overload. You know, it can get that way, and you know, I, I've got I come from a pro shop background, so for over twenty years, we I operated a pro shop in the Chicago suburbs, and uh, you know, seeing a big flood of equipment every few months was was hard not only for our inventory trying to make sure what we would carry for the customers but to try to keep that information current for the customers that are coming in and it it definitely can be a little overwhelming at times and and this is the time of the year that everybody's ramping up for the uh for the fall season you know it's only the early july right now but i mean really the fall season's right around the corner so this is the showcase for everything that's coming out and uh it does seem like at times it can come out at a pretty quick pace for some of the players so what advice and do you have for that guy who he's maybe maybe has six balls total in his arsenal and he sees all this new stuff coming out as far as what to replace when and, and how should he go about looking into that new equipment? 
Well, I mean, ultimately, the pro shop that you deal with is going to probably be your best advice because they're they're dealing with you on a on a weekly basis. But you know, taking advantage of a lot of these showcases where we can go out and demo the equipment is a is a great tool. Um, years ago, you know, probably within the last ten years, we didn't really have that many opportunities to do that. Now we've got. Every seminar that we'll run in the fall and the spring, they'll have demo sets out there where the players can kind of see what fits their game. And it's an opportunity to kind of try it and, and see what matches. Obviously, there's a lot of different bowling balls in the product lines, and not every single one is going to be for every player. So having that opportunity to kind of try them before you buy them definitely helps sort out um, some of the details on, on some of the equipment that you're trying to fill in gaps for. A lot of the tournament bowlers seem like they go through equipment much quicker because they're bowling a lot more games than, than your normal three games a week league bowler. So they get a lot of wear and tear on them. And, you know, over time they do kind of wear out and kind of lose some of the performance down the line. But now with, even with a lot of the things the pro shops are doing with the detox machines and, and a lot of, a lot of ways that they can revive these, these balls, you can get a lot more life out of them too. So, Stephen, in preparing for the interview, I was taking a look at some of your career statistics, and and one of the things I noticed when things slowed down for you, and ultimately you made the the choice to move into what you're doing more now and even more the pro shop side of things, was that 2009-2010 season when you went from, you know, you went from 18 tournaments, 14 caches, five match plays. The next year you went, you bowled 12 events, seven and three, and, and coincidentally that's also when, Jason Belmonte really first burst on the scene too. You could say, what was it for you that led to that? Was it purely based on your performance or the way things were going? I mean, it has to be rough when you go through and you look out there and you see, you know, $1,400 check, $1,800 check, $2,000 check. That's for you guys. That's really kind of, I don't want to say almost breaking even, but it's, you're not, (laughs) not making a whole lot when that's, uh, that's what you're bringing home on a weekly basis. Absolutely. I mean, when you bring when you cash for fourteen hundred, you probably spent close to a thousand to be there, depending on travel and, and how far away how far away it was from home. A lot of the guys were fortunate enough. I was lucky enough to be on a on a staff where I, I got paid a salary to be out there, which helped offset a lot of the expenses. Um, really, what what happened with when I decided to transition in, out of the bowling competitiveness was the. The, the tour really had been kind of slowing down. We had started to see a decline in the amount of tournaments that we had. Uh, we didn't have um, a, a full-time tour, so to speak. Um, a lot of them were based around some of the World Series events where we would bowl multiple events at one time. And the opportunities didn't seem to be as as big throughout this season. And I had an opportunity to, to transition in with classic products at the same time. So really the timing was perfect um, for me because it gave me an opportunity to stay in the bowling industry. And it's a competitive industry, even on the sales side of it, as much as it is on the bowling side. And they were, they were nice enough to let me continue through my exemption until the exempt tour ended. And I was able to still stay, uh, stay active up until the end of that. And uh, it was a pretty good transition for me. So it still had to be a tough choice though. When you're a competitor by nature, you want to be out there competing weekly against your peers stacking up but then you also realize like you said the the fourteen hundred dollars a week checks it's not cutting it it was i mean i really enjoyed the time that i had out there and i had a, a nice career um, over it spanned over 25 years and and i still miss it i, I miss the way it was i missed the way the travel was and, and bowling in a different city every week and and they're starting to come back around to that where we're starting to see us cover more of a geographic area on the tour I mean, that was really what i thought at our fan base um 
being able to be on the East Coast one week and, and, you know, a month later we were on the West Coast and we bowled a lot of different cities in between. We met a lot of friends. We met a lot of fans that, that really expanded our base. And I, and I thought that helped us really connect with the, uh, with the fans that are out there watching us every week. Steve, who was your uh, tour roommate? Did you have a guy who you roomed with on a weekly basis? You know, I had several over the years. When I first started on tour, uh, Jim Stefanik was my first uh, roommate. You know, he lived in Joliet. He was Hall of Famer. And I learned probably as much about golf as I did bowling when, when I roomed with him because he was a great golfer. Um, but I, I've roomed with several guys. Uh, Eugene McCune, uh, when he first came out on tour, we roomed together for a long time. Um, there were probably several other guys in the you know, those were kind of the two biggest ones at the beginning. And, you know, over time, uh, yeah, I roomed with Dave Traber for a little while. Um, honestly, I mean, as, as the years went on, I, I kind of liked the, the aspect of being able to room by myself and, and, and being able to kind of set my own schedule. And, and while it was great to be able to, um, to help save expenses, the travel was a little bit more complicated. We had more than one or two people with you and, and being able to kind of set my own as, as we went on was, was better. And eventually my family was out with me and that was probably the best situation for me. Yeah. What advice do you have for the young guys out there on tour when it comes to roommates? Well, I mean, you gotta, you gotta get along. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 a, it's a whole different relationship. Um, you normally, I mean, the, the guys, are, are out there they, they'll get along pretty well and, and they have a lot of similar interests so the scheduling is the hardest part a lot of the guys now are, are you, you see them they're, they're working out a lot more they've got schedules where they're going to the gym they're not hanging out in the late night life as much as maybe they used to oh i haven't been out there so i really don't know um but it, it just seems like being able to be compatible and and that that helps with um with the the week to week grind, I mean, it, it it gets rough out there. You're away from home, you're away from your family, and uh, being able to balance that time is is probably uh, pretty important. Yeah, that was one of the things in talking to some of the PBA players and in the interviews that I do is that they're used to doing the the sporadic tour where you're on for a month and then you're off for two or vice versa, and getting mm-hmm. with everyone and and people and they said it was interesting and it's a challenge for them to get used to. Some things that some of everyone has their little nuances, but they didn't get on people's nerves when you only bowl a month together. But when when you're out there for three months in a row, what the guy does might get on your start getting on your nerves. Not a guy you're rooming with, just a guy who's you know a competitor of yours. Did you notice that as well when you were out there? Because you were out there, you know, in the height of the tour, like you said, where you're traveling 30, 40 weeks out of the year. Yeah, my my first year on tour, I traveled I traveled thirty five weeks and. Um, you know the the thing of it is it, it's it's an individual sport, so you're still trying to compete against the guy that you're you're hanging out with all day. And there's a lot of great friendships out there, but when you're on the lanes, you're out there for yourself. So yeah, it can definitely be a little bit you know awkward if you get one of your roommates gets on a run where he's making finals every week and you're struggling to get a check. I mean, you've got both ends of the spectrum in the same room and you're kind of trying to figure out what you got to do to get better and try to try to break out of your slump while you're watching your roommate, you know, make, try and go after the show every week. So I've been on both ends of that and you know, it's, it's tough. I mean, you don't want to celebrate too much in front of somebody that's really struggling. And and most of the guys, they try to help each other out. You know, I, I, I've worked with, with guys that I've room with trying to help them figure something out and they've helped, they try to help me, you know, we're, we're all kind of in the same boat, but in the end, we're still trying to we're on the lanes. We're trying to beat the other guys. So you would, have to be in a situation where you might have to throw a double to knock your partner out of the or your roommate out of the finals and that, that can make for an interesting dinner conversation later 
Well, yeah, and that's that was one of the other things I also kind of noticed when I'm up at Bowl Expo is, you know, with the companies and all their staffs, and if they're not on the same ball company staff, the manufacturer's staff, they might be on the same, you know, shoe contractor, apparel contractor, what have you. And it's really hard sometimes, in my opinion, to create some of those rivalries that we once had because everyone is so connected, you could say. Yeah, in a way. I mean, it's a, it's a big industry, but yet it's a small-knit group that we're in um, when we're out there. And there's, there's just a handful of guys that are making a good living out there on tour. And, and really, I mean, out of the whole country, what do we have, like 40 or 50 guys that are bowling full-time? And then you, then you get some of the guys that are kind of hitting in and out. So it, it's really a small group, so you really get to know each other really well. And, and they're all great guys. I mean, they you could tell just by the way they kind of rid each other and – and they they hang out a lot, so I mean, it, 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 they still have a lot of fun. All right, well, Steve Jarris joining me. Steve, I have to I have to ask you this because I was watching the video that's posted on PBA, and um, and your name is your last name is mispronounced by by the announcer there. Uh, I think it was Marshall Holman got it correct, but um, I'm trying to think who the call, who the play by play guy was got it wrong. Did you run into that a lot in tournaments where they would they would say Jaros instead of Jarris? Yeah, I mean, it, it really, I mean, the way it's spelled, that's probably how most people would try to pronounce it. And I know I didn't really worry too much about, you know, over-pronouncing. I mean, we, we get a lot of people that pronounce the J with an H or a Y, and, you know, it is it is what it is. But, you know, Marshall was really good at trying to be um, really correct with everything that he did, and I, I thought he was a great play-by-play announcer. And um, it, it was kind of cool just to actually be out there and have, all of them actually talking about me at one point. You know, I, was, I was lucky enough to be on shows with Christian Ankle and Nelson Burton Jr. And, and pretty much every play-by-play team, I, I bowled with them calling the action, which was kind of a cool thing. Well, let's move on here. You are bowling now currently. You've done d- trying some of your hand at some of the PBA 50 events. What are you seeing? Because it, it has to be somewhat like a reunion for you out there when you go out and bowl. You're seeing, you know, Michael Hogan Jr., you're seeing Norm, you're seeing Pete, you're seeing Walter Ray Williams, uh, all the same guys who you were competing with out on the PBA Tour. But on the flip side, then, that means your game has to be top-notch or you're going to be, you know, you know going to be <laughs> be struggling again out there. <laughs> it is. I mean, it, it it's a pretty tough tour right now. Um, there's a really good group of guys that turn 50 about the same time that are, that are still competitive enough to win on, on the national tour. I mean, Norm Duke went back to back. Um, at, I mean, is he 55 or 50? I don't even know how old he is, but he's, he's making me think like I can get out there and probably bowl a little bit, but um, it, it, it's kind of a hall of fame tour in a way because all these players are so accomplished and it's getting tougher to, to make it through the rounds and to make the cuts, um, you have to be almost as sharp as you did um, when you were bowling regular. And you know, I had just got done bowling against these guys for the last you know twenty years, and now I've got to try to beat them again, which is tough because they're they're in their prime still for the for the PBA fifty tour, and a lot of them, like I said, they're in good enough shape to still compete with the with the regular tour. Um, it was great when you, the the PBA um, the, the the senior masters was the first tournament that I bowled a couple of years ago, and. And it, it kind of brought me back to when I started bowling on tour because I saw a lot of the same faces that I saw when I first started. And we were just all in the next phase of, of the tour. And it, it was pretty cool to see all of them out there. And it kind of brought me back to when I started back when I was 20. <laughs> One of the things I, I always, I'm curious about, because I did an interview, I chatted with Michael Hogan Jr. on a flow bowling podcast. And, and he was at in that range between 45 and 50 where you, your body still wants to be competing and your competitiveness and you wants to still be out there on the PBA tour. But on the flip side, you have guys like EJ and Belmo 
that just have such a high rev rate that they're carrying that extra hit a game, and then that adds up throughout the block, and, and ultimately um, you have to make that decision. Uh, is that something you see? I've joked there should be a PBA 40 tour, but is that something that some people run into, and, and yourself included, where you kind of said, look, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm not going to keep coming out here, and I'm, I'm not going to keep throwing my money away, but there's a challenge for that bowler that's in his mid to late 40s to compete with the guys that are, in some cases, 20, 25 years younger than him. It is, and, you know, that's one of the great things about the, the sport of bowling is that you can still compete at a level against some of the younger kids, but you do definitely see a, a transition in the way the game is, is gone. Um, it, it's definitely gone to a more power game. And, you know, I, I think we saw the same thing. You know, it, it just kind of comes full circle because when Roth and Holman came out, they were the new guys that were really being able to open up the lane, and they created a whole different you know, dynamic to the way the game was played. We're seeing that now uh, just on a little bigger spectrum. But it, it's kind of the same transition. You know, you're, you're seeing guys like Belmo and, and EJ, the guys that can really open the lane up and overpower the pattern, being able to do some, do things that majority of the field may not be able to do. So it it does, it, it can get intimidating at times, but at the same time, I, I think if you're at the top of your game, you can compete with them. Um, but, I mean, I understand what you're saying about, you know, a couple more hits here and there. You know, one of the World Series that I bowled across with Belmo, and I think we're on the Viper pattern, and I, I think shot for shot, I may have hit the pocket as many times as he did, maybe even a little bit more, but he beat me by over 100 pins because every half 10 was a scout, and every time he was a little high, he would break something up, and, and you know, his power was just able to really create things that I wasn't able to do just by, by hitting the pocket every shot, so... You can definitely see that separation at times. You bring up Elmo. Let's talk about him because he came out when you were, like I said, in 2009 was really his first full season out there. What changes mm-hmm. can you see in his game or have you seen in his game? Because I think there's this thought sometimes that, oh, he's just he stayed the same when he came out. But he's worked really hard at his game and, and making it as versatile as he has made it for a two-handed player. I think the the versatility is definitely the key, what what you just said, because when he first came out, he was a lot of power, and he was able to do something nobody else could do with the ball. Uh, we had him and, Os- and Asku that would both come out periodically, and they both had a ton of power. Over the years, what I've seen with Jason is he he really has worked on trying to play straight and trying to play the patterns the way they're, they're meant to be played and kind of break them down as the as the day goes on. He's not just quick to just get to the left gutter and just try to loft gutters right away. I've seen him actually start to change things with his tilt and change things with the way he lets go of the ball, which has helped him become much more versatile over the course of the day rather than just waiting for it to come to him. So that makes him even more of a threat when the tournament starts because now he's got a little better look on the fresh than he used to have. And um, it, it's definitely made him more well-rounded, and I think that's, that's why we we're seeing him up there as often as we are now. Steve, let's uh, let's also hit on junior goal. That's one of the things that we see coming up here, not too in the not too distant future. That's an event you're going to be at with um, with Classic Products Corporation there. And so, talk about that, and let's talk about junior gold first, and really how that has just exploded as a tournament. And we just finished up with the Teen Masters as well, another great competition, uh, two different competitions, both very challenging competitions in their own unique ways. I, I think what we're seeing with the junior bowlers is. is fantastic i mean we never really had anything at that magnitude when i was coming through the ranks uh, when i started bowling on tour i had to learn how to bowl out there i thought i, I was pretty good i come out there i actually had to learn how to bowl on tour before i had some success now the coaching is getting getting so much better the, the kids are getting so much more educated before they come out 
and the patterns that they see in the tournaments that they bowl are so much more challenging than what we saw that when they come out and bowl some of our tournaments, they're really not phased by it because they see this all the time. So when you come to a tournament that's, you know, like the team masters was a great format. I love the idea of everybody gets the same equipment and you just figure out what you got to do. It takes some of the, some of the equipment out of play and then now you're just making shots and it, that's really what the main focus should be anyway. Um, now you're looking at junior gold where we've got over 4,000 kids that are coming to Detroit next, next week that are bowling on some pretty tough patterns <clears throat> and they're, they're bowling on some, um, some really good competition to get there. So it, it's, it's an exciting tournament to watch. I mean, you, we may see, you know, the next PBA star come out of this, um, or several of them really as the years go on. Um, this is the third year that I'm actually going to be at the event. Um, not only, I mean, they're helping with classic products. My daughter is also bowling in the tournament. So I get to see the competition side of it as, as a spectator, as well as, uh, as a business side of it when I'm there for classic. So it's a great event. So is it more nerve-wracking then to be bowling the tournaments and comp- competing yourself or watching your daughter compete? Uh, it's much harder being a spectator because <laughs> I have no control over what happens. Uh, both of my kids, I have a set of twins, and they're, uh, they're both bowling in college right now. And uh, watching the college events every weekend and, and being able to help out a little bit with, with some of the teams has been has been great. But, you know, being back there and just watching them throw a shot, knowing that I have no control over what goes on is, is a lot harder. I mean, I, I know what my family went through for the last 20 years when I was bowling on tour when I was out there bowling. And now I know what they felt. It, it's a lot harder on the back as a spectator to me. <laughs> All right, and let's uh, let's wrap up the interview, Steve, by talking about what you're doing with Classic and how, you, how you're still working in the industry. Well, um, it's been about eight years now. And, and like we talked earlier, when, when the tour started – Getting a little bit lighter, um, I, I had the opportunity with Classic Products to come on as, as one of their sales reps for the Midwest. So I live near the Chicago area, so I, I pretty much cover most of Illinois, Wisconsin, Indiana, and Michigan. And um, it was a time that they kind of needed. Um, they were looking for a sales rep in the area. I was still bowling on tour, so a lot of people had still kind of knew who I was. So it was really a good transition for me. And and now being able to 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 work with the accounts that I have, you know, throughout not just my area, but you know, when I when I travel around the country, you know, there's a lot of pro shop operators and a lot of bowling center people that I can talk to um, that can benefit both them. They can I can benefit them with stuff we can do with classic, and I can benefit classic because I can spread out a little bit more. So really, I mean, it, it's been it's been a good. It's really been a good eight years so far. I've been learning a lot more about the the business side of it, as far as the sales and the marketing, and um, it's kept me in the game. And I, and I think being still connected to the game has helped me when I go into the pro shops, and it's helped me when I've gone into the bowling centers. Um, it, it really kind of breaks the ice a little bit for some of the stops that I go into, and and just being able to start talking about a lot of the services and the products that we that we offer has been really a, a, a big help. Steve, as someone who grew up in the Midwest, I grew up in Wisconsin, and there's been um, in the town where I grew up bowling. At one time, there was six bowling centers, and now they're down to two. Do you think we're about uh, as, as centers just closing? Do you think we're at as, at about the point where we're as low as we can go with centers closing, or can people still expect to see that if you know ultimately if a center is not making ends meet? Well, I mean, I, I hope that we've kind of reached the bottom of that, but I mean, you just never know. I mean, we've had two or three of them in my area that have closed in the last few months. 
um, for various reasons. I mean, it, it could be the market. It could be plenty of different things that could cause this to happen. I've, I've got a lot of centers in my territory that have been doing a lot of expansion. They've been doing a lot of remodeling, which has really brought more people to the center. So as we're seeing some of them, like, not be around as much, the ones that are still around have been able to invest back into the center and really create some, some beautiful looking places that people can come for their entertainment. And I'm, I'm hoping that's going to start causing a, another revolution where we start seeing a lot more of these upscale centers. Uh, we're seeing a lot of family entertainment centers with a lot of the, the lights and the sound and a lot of the games and new scoring systems and, and the addition of the projectors that can put the things onto the lanes um, be, between you've got Specto and clutch bowling and, and all these things that are adding a whole different dimension to the game. I, I, I think we're going to start drawing more people into it. Yeah, is that the key these days? You, you have to have... A full-on entertainment center. There has to be more there than just your traditional, you know, bowl with some traditional bar food and um, and bowling. It has to be more and a couple of video, you know, Miss Pac-Man in the corner. Well, you know, I think we're seeing a lot more um, investment into the into the game rooms and, and some of the things such as laser tag and even some of the other, you know, escape rooms we're starting to see in some of the centers. I think it's making it so that. You're not going there just to bowl, but if you're there to bowl and there's other things that keep you in, it, it's, it's going to give you something else that you can do. And, and, and you can bring a family out. Maybe they all don't want to bowl, but there's plenty of stuff to keep them entertained, and they can have a great time doing it. And I, and I think that's what it's about, getting the whole family to get out there. And, and if everybody has a good time about it, they're going to come back. Please remember to check out BowlingThisMonth.com. Bowling's best and most comprehensive technical resource all at your fingertips. Have your ball reviews down your left-hand side. Have all sorts of articles on the website, how to help your mental game out, how to help your physical game out. Again, check all that stuff out, bowlingthismonth.com. It's what you need to do if you want to improve yourself and go back to league in the fall a little bit better, more mentally focused, more physically focused. Again, check out bowlingthismonth.com. And H5G Brands have to remember High Five Gear, so check them out as well. Had a chance, if you uh, you listened to the last podcast I did with Lindsey Boomershine, we talked a lot about H5G brands, but check them out as well. Lots of great stuff. They're still running that LEAP program for your league like we had talked about, where you can pay what amounts to 2 bucks a week and you can have a, a great sharp-looking jersey for you and your team. Again, check all that out, h5gbrands.com. Also, use promo code ABOVE180. That will get you $20 off your order. That's promo code ABOVE180 at h5gbrands.com. Also, quickly going to bring up... Applause for your cause. That's a great deal where if you call H5G, you work with H5G, they're going to help you design a shirt for your cause, and they're going to give it to you basically at cost. Not basically. It will be at cost. So, again, remember to check out h5gbrands.com for all that information. Email sales at H5G Brands for inquiries regarding that. But it's a great way to get the word out regarding your cause that you're looking to support. Lots of great causes out there. But, again, if you're looking to do something with shirts or something, what have you, please remember, check out h5gbrands.com. On that note, Steve, I appreciate you taking some time to catch up with me, and uh, we'll have to do it again down the road. And thanks for joining me, and all the best of luck on the PBA 50 Tour. Thank you. Look forward to it.